Day ten, the eighth story of the Decameron, Part A. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. C. Guan, The Decameron by Giovanni Boccaccio, translated by J. M. Rigg. Day ten, the eighth story, Part A. Sophronia, albeit she deems herself wife to Gisippus is wife to Titus Tuentius Fulvus, and goes with him to Rome, where Gisippus arrives in indigence, and, deeming himself scorned by Titus, to compass his own death, averse that he has slain a man. Titus recognizes him, and, to save his life, alleges that twas he that slew the man, whereof he that did the deed being witness, he discovers himself as the murderer, whereby it comes to pass that they are all three liberated by Octavianus, and Titus gives Gisippus his sister to wife, and shares with him all his substance. So seized Pompinea, and when all the ladies, and most of them Gebelin, had commanded King Pedro, Philomena by command of the king, thus began. Magnificent, my ladies, who wots not that there is not so great but kings, when they have a mind, may accomplish it, as also that tis of them that magnificence is most especially demanded. Now whoso, being powerful, does that which it appertains him to do, does well, but therein is no such a matter of marvel or occasion of extolling him to the skies as in his deed, of whom, for that his power is light, less is demanded. Wherefore, as you are so profuse of your word in exaltation of the fine deeds, as you deem them, of monarchs, I make no manner of doubt, but that the doings of our peers must seem to you yet more delectable and commendable when they equal or surpass those of kings. Accordingly, tis a transaction, laudable and magnificent, that passed between two citizens, who were friends, that I propose to recount to you in my story. I say, then, that what time Octavianus Caesar, not as yet high Augustus, but being in the office called Triumvirate, swayed the empire of Rome, there dwelt at Rome a gentleman, Publius Quintius Fulvus, by name, who, having a son, Titus Quintius Fulvus, that was a very prodigy of wit, sent him to Athens to study philosophy, and to the best of his power commended him to a nobleman of that city, Creams by name, who was his very old friend. Creams lodged Titus in his own house with his son Gisippus, and placed both Titus and Gisippus under a philosopher named Aristippus to learn of him his doctrine. And the two youths, thus keeping together, found each the other's conversation so congruous with his own, that there grew up between them a friendship so close and brotherly, that was never broken by aught but death, nor knew either rest or solace, save when he was with the other. So, gifted alike with preeminent subtlety of wit, they entered on their studies, and with even pace and prodigious applause, scaled together the glorious heights of philosophy, in which way of life, to the exceeding great delight of Creams, who entreated Titus as no less his son than Gisippus, 
they continued for full three years. At the end whereof it befell, after the common course of things mundane, that creams, being now aged, departed this life, whom with equal grief they mourn as a common father, and the friends and kinsfolk of creams were alike at a loss to determine whether of the twain stood in need of the more consolation upon the bereavement. Some months afterward the friends and kinsfolk of Gisippus came to him and exhorted him, as did also Titus, to take a wife, and found him a maiden, wondrous fair, of one of the most noble houses of Athens, her name Sophronia, and her age about fifteen years. So a time was appointed for their nuptials, and one day, when twas near at hand, Gisippus bade Titus come see the maiden, whom as yet he had not seen, and they, being come into her house, and she sitting betwixt them, Titus, as he were fain to observe with care the several charms of his friend's wife that was to be, surveyed her with the closest attention, and being delighted beyond measure with all that he saw, grew, as inly he extolled her charms to the skies, enamoured of her, with a love as ardent, albeit he gave no sign of it, as ever lover bore to a lady. However, after they had tarried a while with her, they took their leave, and went home, where Titus repaired to his chamber, and there gave himself over to solitary musing on the damsel's charms, and the longer he brooded, the more he burned for her. Whereon, as he reflected, having heaved many a fervent sigh, thus he began to commune with himself. Ah, woe worth thy life, Titus! Whom makest thou the mistress of thy soul, thy love, thy hope? Knowest thou not that by reason as well of thy honourable entreatment by creams, and his kin as the whole-hearted friendship that is between thee and Gisippus, it behoves thee to have his betrothed in even such pious regard as if she were thy sister? Whither art thou suffering beguiling love, delusive hope, to hurry thee? Open the eyes of thine understanding, and see thyself, wretched man, as thou art, obey the dictates of thy reason, refrain thy carnal appetite, control thine inordinate desires, and give thy thoughts another bent, join battle with thy lust at the outset, and conquer thyself while there is yet time. This which thou wouldst have is not meet, is not seemly. This which thou art minded to ensue, thou wouldst rather, though thou wert, as thou art not, sure of its attainment, eschew, hadst thou but the respect thou shouldst have for the claims of true friendship. So then, Titus, what wilt thou do? What but abandon this unseemly love, if thou wouldst do as it behoves thee? But then, as he remembered Sophronia, his thoughts took the contrary direction, and he recounted all that he had said, musing on this wise. The laws of love are a force above all others. They abrogate not only the law of human friendship, but the law divine itself. How many times, ere now, has father loved daughter, brother sister, stepmother stepson? Aberrations far more notable than that a friend should love his friend's wife, which has happened a thousand times. Besides which, I am young, 
and youth is altogether subject to the laws of love. Love's pleasure, then, should be mine. The seemly is for folk of riper years. Tis not in my power to will aught save that which love wills. So beauteous is this damsel that there is none but should love her. And if I love her, who am young, who can justly censure me? I love her not, because she is the affianced of Gisippus. No matter whose she was, I should love her all the same. Herein is fortune to blame, that gave her to my friend Gisippus, rather than to another. And if she is worthy of love, as for beauty she is, Gisippus, if he should come to know that I love her, ought to be less jealous than another. Then, scorning himself that he should indulge such thoughts, he relapsed into the opposing mood, albeit not to abide there, but ever veering to and fro. He spent not only the whole of that day and the ensuing night, but many others, insomuch that, being able neither to eat nor to sleep, he grew so weak that he was fain to take his bed. Gisippus, who had marked his moodiness for some days, and now saw that he was fairly sick, was much distressed, and with sedulous care, never quitting his side, he tended and strove as best he might to comfort him, not seldom and most earnestly demanding to know of him the cause of his melancholy and his sickness. Many were the subterfuges to which Titus resorted, but as Gisippus was not to be put off with his fables, finding himself hard-pressed by him, with sighs and sobs he made answer on this wise. Gisippus, had such been the will of God, I were fain rather to die than to live, seeing that fortune has brought me a strait in which needs must my virtue be put to the ordeal, and to my worst grievous shame tis found wanting, whereof I confidently expect my due reward, to wit, death, which will be more welcome to me than to live, haunted ever by the memory of my baseness, which, as there is not that from thee I either should or can conceal, I, not without burning shame, will discover to thee. And so he recounted the whole story from first to last, the occasion of his melancholy, its several moods, their conflict, and which of them the victory rested, averring that he was dying of love for Sophronia, and that, knowing how ill such love beseemed him, he had for penance elected to die, and deemed the end was now not far off. Gisippus, hearing his words and seeing his tears, for a while knew not what to say, being himself smitten with the damsel's charms, albeit in a less degree than Titus, but ere long he made up his mind that Sophronia must be less dear to him than his friend's life. And so, moved to tears by his friend's tears, Titus, quoth he between his sobs, but that thou art in need of comfort, I should reproach thee, that thou hadst offended against our friendship, in that thou hast so long kept close from me this most distressful passion, and albeit thou didst deem it unseemly, yet unseemly things should no more than things seemly be withheld from a friend, for that, as a friend rejoices with his friend in things seemly, so he does in his endeavour to wean his friend 
from things unseemly. But enough of this for the nuns. I pass to that which, I wot, is of greater moment. If thou ardently lovest Sophronia, my affianced, so far from marvelling thereat, I should greatly marvel were it not so, knowing how fair she is, and how noble is thy soul, and thus the after to be swayed by passion, the more excelling is she by whom thou art charmed. And the juster the cause thou hast to love Sophronia, the greater is the injustice with which thou complainest of fortune, albeit thou dost it not in so many words, for giving her to me, as if thy love of her had been seemly, had she belonged to any other but me, whereas, if thou art still the wise man thou wast wont to be, thou must know that to none could fortune have assigned her, with such good cause for thee to thank her, as to me. Had any other had her, albeit thy love had been seemly, he had loved her as his own, rather than as thine, which, if thou deem me even such a friend to thee as I am, thou wilt not apprehend from me, seeing that I mind me not, that since we were friends, I had ever aught that was not as much thine as mine. And so should I entreat thee herein, as in all other matters, were the affair gone so far that naught else were possible. But, as it is, I can make thee sole possessor of her. And so I mean to do, for I know not what cause thou shouldst have to prize my friendship, if, where in seemly sort it might be done, I knew not how to surrender my will to thine. Tis true that Sophronia is my betrothed, and that I loved her much, and had great cheer in expectation of the nuptials, but as thou, being much more discerning than I, dost more fervently affect this rare prize, rest assured that she will enter my chamber not mine, but thine. Wherefore away with thy moodiness, banish thy melancholy, recover thy lost health, thy heartiness and jollity, and gladsomely, and gladsomely, even from this very hour, anticipate the guerdon of thy love, a love worthier far than mine. Delightful as was the prospect with which hope flattered Titus, as he heard Gisippus thus speak, no less was the shame with which right reason affected him, admonishing him that the greater was the liberality of Gisippus, the less it would become him to profit thereby. Wherefore, still weeping, he thus constrained himself to make answer, Gisippus, thy generous and true friendship leaves me in no doubt as to the manner in which it becomes me to act. God forfend that her, whom as to the more worthy, he has given to thee, I should ever accept of thee for mine. Had he seen fit that she should be mine, far be it from thee, or any other, to suppose that he would ever have awarded her to thee. Renounce not, then, that which thy choice and wise counsel, and his gift, have made thine, and leave me to whom, as unworthy, he has appointed no such happiness, to waste my life in tears, for either I shall conquer my grief, which will be grateful to thee, or it will conquer me, and so I shall be quit of my pain. Quoth then Gisippus, if our friendship, Titus, is of such a sort as may entitle me to enforce thee to ensue behests of mine, or 
as may induce thee of thine own free will to ensue the same such is the use which most of all i am minded to put it and if thou lend me considerate ear upon my prayers i shall by force that force which is lawful in the interest of a friend make sophronia thine i know the might of love how redoubtable it is and how not once only but oftentimes it has brought ill-starred lovers to a miserable death and thee i see so hard-bested that turn back thou mightst not nor get the better of thy grief but holding on thy course must succumb and perish and without doubt i should speedily follow thee and so had i no other cause to love thee thy life is precious to me in that my own is bound up with it sophronia then shall be thine for thou wouldst not lightly find another so much to thy mind and i shall readily find another to love and so shall content both thee and me in which matter peradventure i might not be so liberal were wives so scarce or hard to find as our friends wherefore as tis so easy a matter for me to find another wife i had liefer i say not lose her for in giving her to thee lose her i shall not but only transfer her to one that is my alter ego and that to her advantage i shall leave her i say transfer her to thee then lose thee and so if aught my prayers avail with thee i entreat thee extricate thyself from thy woeful plight and conform at once thyself and me and in good hope address thyself to pluck that boon which thy fervent love craves of her for whom thou yearnest still scrupling for shame to consent that sophronia should become his wife titus remained yet a while inexorable but yielding at last to the solicitations of love reinforced by the exhortations of gesippus thus he made answer lo now gesippus i know not how to call it whether tis more thy pleasure than mine tis which i do seeing that is as thy pleasure that thou so earnestly entreatest me to do it but as thy liberality is such that my shame though becoming may not withstand it i will even do it but of this rest assured that i do so witting well that i receive from thee not only the lady i love but with her my very life and fate permitting may the gods grant me to make thee such honourable and goodly requital as may show thee how sensible i am of the boon which thou more compassionate of me than i am of myself conferrest on me quoth then gesippus now for the giving effect to our purpose methinks titus we should proceed on this wise thou knowest that sophronia by treaty at length concluded between my family and hers is become my betrothed were i now to say that she should not be my wife great indeed were the scandal that would come thereof and should affront both her family and mine own whereof indeed i should make no account so it gave me to see her become thine but i fear that were i to give her up at this juncture her family would forthwith bestow her upon another perchance then thee and so we should both be losers wherefore methinks that should thou approve i were best 
to complete what I have begun, bring her home as my wife, and celebrate the nuptials, and thereafter we can arrange that thou lie with her, privately, as thy wife. Then, time and occasion serving, we will disclose the whole affair, and if they are satisfied, well and good, if not, twill be done all the same, and, as it cannot be undone, they must, perforce, make the best of it. Which counsel, being approved by Titus, Gisippus brought the lady home as his wife, Titus being now recovered, and quite himself again. And when they had made great cheer, and night was come, the ladies, having bedded the bride, took their departure. Now the chambers of Titus and Gisippus were contiguous, and one might pass from one into the other. Gisippus, therefore, being come into his room, extinguished every ray of light, and stole into that of Titus, and bade him to get him to bed with his lady. Whereat Titus gave way to shame, and would have changed his mind, and refused to go in. But Gisippus, no less zealous at heart than in words to serve his friend, after no small contention, prevailed on him to go thither. Now no sooner was Titus abed with the lady, than taking her in his arms, he, as if jestingly, asked in a low tone whether she minded to be his wife. She, taking him to be Gisippus, answered, Yes, whereupon he set a fair and costly ring on her finger, saying, And I am minded to be thy husband. And having presently consummated the marriage, he long and amorously disported him with her, neither she nor any other being ever aware that another than Gisippus lay with her. Now Titus and Sophronia, being after this sort wedded, Publius, the father of Titus, departed this life, for which cause Titus was bidden by letter to return forthwith to Rome to see to his affairs. Wherefore he took counsel with Gisippus, how he might take Sophronia thither with him, which might not well be done without giving her to know how matters stood. Whereof, accordingly, one day, having called her into the chamber, they fully apprised her, Titus, for her better assurance, bringing her recollection not a little of what had passed between them. Whereat she, after glancing from one to the other somewhat disdainfully, burst into a flood of tears, and reproached Gisippus that he has so deluded her, and forthwith, saying not of the matter to any there, she hied her forth to Gisippus' house and home to her father, to whom and her mother she recounted the deceit which Gisippus had practised upon them as upon her, averring that she was the wife not of Gisippus, as they supposed, but of Titus, whereby her father was aggrieved exceedingly, and prolonged and grave complaint was made thereof by him and his own, and Gisippus' families, and there was not a little parleying, and a world of pother. Gisippus earned the hatred of both his own and Sophronia's kin, and all agreed that he merited not only censure but severe punishment. He, however, averred that he had done a thing seemly, and that Sophronia's kinsfolk owed him thanks for giving her in marriage to one better than himself. All which Titus witnessed, with great suffering, and witting that was the way of the Greeks to launch forth in high words and menaces, 
and refrain, not until they should meet with one that answered them, whereupon they were wont to grow not only humble but even abject, was at length minded that their clavers should no longer pass unanswered. And, as with his Roman temper, he united Athenian subtlety, he cleverly contrived to bring the kinsfolk, as well of Gisippus as of Sophronia, together in a temple, where, being entered, attended only by Gisippus, thus, they being intent to hear, he harangued them. "'Tis the opinion of not a few philosophers that whatsoever mortals do is ordained by the providence of the immortal gods, for which cause some would have it that not either is or ever shall be, done, save of necessity, albeit others there are that restrict this necessity to that which is already done. Regard we but these opinions with some little attention, and we shall very plainly perceive that to censure that which cannot be undone is not else but to be minded to show oneself wiser than the gods, by whom we must suppose that we and our affairs are swayed and governed with uniform and unerring wisdom, whereby you may very readily understand how vain and foolish a presumption it is to pass judgment on other doings, and what manner and might of chains they need who suffer themselves to be transported to such excess of daring among whom, in my judgment, you must one and all be numbered, if tis true, what I hear to wit, that you have complained, and do continue to complain, that Sophronia, albeit you gave her to Gisippus, is nevertheless become my wife, not considering that was ordained from all eternity that she should become not the wife of Gisippus, but mine, as the fact does now declare. End of part A of day 10, the 8th story.